0: never knew knew. knew. that was his power. 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 The greatest greatest trick trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, read a shorty, tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a ten. The boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. talk. (laughs) Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. You are listening to episode 125, being recorded on Saturday, December 30th. I am your host, Jared Mintz, and with this being the last podcast I'm going to record in 2017, I wanted to take the opportunity to reflect on the past 12 months of NBA basketball, but also tell you all what I'm excited for in the new year. Let's get started with the year in review. Here are my top five NBA storylines from 2017. First, I want to start by giving a shout-out to LeVar Ball, my honorary mention, Long-time listeners know that Joe and I had no idea what to do about LeVar and how to react to him when he first hit the scene. That's because we've never seen anything like LeVar Ball. Yeah, we've had overbearing, obnoxious parents of athletes. We've also had wrestling-style characters who just say anything for a rise. LeVar lives in both of these worlds, but also has tried to get the upper hand on a system that takes advantage of young men. I'm not about to go on a rant about college basketball players deserving to get paid or the NBA's age limit or anything that should piss anyone off or has a political tone. However, LeVar is a businessman who has at least one son who is, was, supposed to be an NBA player, and he's done everything he could to garner attention for his children and give them the most opportunities. Of course, he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and ultimately it doesn't feel like a great look that neither LiAngelo or LaMelo are receiving an education at the moment. But don't act like you care about student-athletes being educated, okay? From the moment a potential NBA prospect hits the AAU scene, Basketball pretty much becomes everything, and Lavar is taking control of that for his sons so other people don't capitalize off of them the way they do every other young athlete. I don't agree with all of his decisions, or everything, slash most of the time anything, that he says, but I don't think he's caused horrible damage to anyone or anything, and I find him entertaining as hell. Also, so do you, or we wouldn't still be talking about him. Okay, now that I got that out of my system, I promise the rest of this is relatively worth listening to. Let's start with number five of my countdown, which is the new class of NBA basketball players. I was a pretty big naysayer of his for the first couple of seasons of his career, but Giannis Antetokounmpo has already exceeded any kind of ceiling expectations that I had for him. He just turned 23 this month. Again, I'll admit that I was wrong. It wasn't that I didn't see the potential. If you watched a highlight thread, you knew what this long, skilled, insanely athletic Greek freak was capable of. I just wasn't blown away by his stat line and thought it was too soon to get excited. Well, Giannis averaged nearly 23 points, 9 rebounds, and 5.5 and assists, shooting 52% from the field last season, and he looked like the scariest player on a non-hopeful playoff team last spring. It looked like he was going to single-handedly knock the Raptors out of the playoffs, and that was with minimal help around him. Despite questionable coaching, to put it nicely, the Bucks are one of the most fun teams in the league this season, and guess what? Giannis is pretty much as legit of an MVP candidate as there is outside of LeBron James and James Harden. Mr. Freak is leading the league in minutes played, and is up to over 29 points and 10.5 rebounds per game, and while he's shooting 55% from the field. Get that, 55% from the field. There's still room for Giannis to improve, which is frightening, but LeBron, KD, Curry, Harden, and Russell Westbrook, and everyone else should be on notice that the NBA's Demogorgon is here, and he's ready to take you to the upside down. Joining Giannis in the youth movement as the most fun young player in the league has to be Joel Embiid. Of course, we all want to see him piece together a full season before getting too excited or hyperbolic even about him, but uh, he's really good. In fact, I don't care that he only played 31 games last season. He was the rookie of the year. Sorry, Malcolm Brogdon. The two seasons prior to Embiid suiting up, the Sixers combined for 28 wins. The 23-year-old big man has played in 57 games in his career, and the teams won 27 of them. That's right. The Sixers are 43 and 73 the last two seasons, but are 27 and 30 in the games Embiid's played in. A lot of that stems from this season as the Sixers are vastly improved with the additions of a healthy Ben Simmons and JJ Redick to name just a few players, but this team goes as far as Embiid takes them and he's legitimately taking them further than than being just an improved bad team. In a league that's become so perimeter based over the last couple of seasons, Embiid has a dominant low post game is a feared shot blocker with his size and agility, yet has incredible grace on the perimeter, where he's shooting over 34% on just over three three three-point attempts per game since last season. This guy just does it all, and it's incredible that we're talking about him being the best center in the league already, less than 60 games into his freaking career. If he could just stay on the court. Also, I love that he talks shit the way he does, both on the court and on Twitter. The guy's a legend already. Moving on, Number four for me this year was KD and the Warriors beating the Cavs in the finals and the Golden State Warriors getting their second championship in three years. I can't remember the last time we saw a season play out from pretty much day one of the offseason until the last day of the NBA finals, quite how we expected it to the way it did last season. Does that make the NBA boring? I guess. At the same time, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I love me some Steph Curry, and I'm also a huge fan of KD, who I was happy to see get his first ring. I feel like lately I've been seeing some KD resentment, and yeah, he's probably the corniest dude in the NBA. I know I went on this little LeVar Ball rant, but for the most part, I only really care about what happens on the court, and for my money, Durant's one of the five best players I've had the joy of watching in my lifetime. I think I was in the minority being the non-Warriors fan who was happy to see KD go to Golden State, but I felt like it would maximize his game, which it seemingly did. Durant gets the ball in late-game situations, is a better defender, and had the best true shooting percentage of his career last season in his first year with the Dubs. It did feel a little watered down getting a third Warriors-Cavs finals rematch, with the Warriors clearly showing up to a knife fight with a brand new Tommy gun, and it was hard to fathom the Cavs can make it a series, which they barely did, but I took some enjoyment in Golden State making up for blowing their 3-1 lead from the season before and getting back on top of the NBA world. Look, I get it, it's not for everyone, but I try to appreciate historical greatness in sports, and there's no question that this Warriors run of the last four years, going on who knows how long, might be remembered as the greatest run in NBA history, or at least in a post-Bill Russell Celtics world. Moving on to number three from 2017, RIP to Lob City. While understanding it's been the Warriors world that LeBron has been trying his best to take over for the last several NBA seasons, it was sad to see the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin Clippers split up and ultimately go down without winning more. We frequently get teams that just have so much promise and are so fun to watch come up short, and the Clippers are the latest iteration. I mean, we had the Jazz and Knicks in the 90s, the early 2000s Kings and Nets, you get my point. The Clippers were at the top of the NBA in net rating for the majority of the Lob City era, and were just derailed by injuries to Paul and Griffin over the last couple of seasons. None of this was helped by GM Doc being an awful GM and not building a deeper roster. I mean, beyond J.J. Redick and DeAndre Jordan, The list of serviceable players on this team grew shorter and shorter by the year after Rivers took over. But at the end of the day, the team wasn't going to get anywhere without Paul Griffin, and the last two playoffs saw them without both. Of course, this makes you wonder what could have been had they not blown a 3-1 lead to the Rockets in the 2015 playoffs, but I think it's less meaningful to do the what-if thing than it is to acknowledge that this was probably the best run in Clippers franchise history, and who knows when the team's going to be relevant again? Blake Griffin's had another injury-ravaged season, there's been rumors about trading DeAndre Jordan, and the team doesn't exactly have a ton of assets or picks that they can quickly rebuild with. Sure, they got a haulback for CP3 from Houston, but there isn't much optimism that Sam Decker is the next great young wing player. Goodbye Clippers, we hardly knew you. Speaking of blowing it up, the second most memorable moment for me in 2017, or I suppose the biggest story, I mean this is probably number one for me, but... I'm going to try not to show too much bias, was the New York Knicks imploding. As I said, speaking of teams changing their identities, how about the Knicks not only firing Phil Jackson, but trading Carmelo Anthony this past offseason? Let's start by saying nice things. Melo was the most productive Knicks since Patrick Ewing, and the team made three straight playoff trips and won its first series in 13 years thanks to him. Phil Jackson ultimately was in charge when the team drafted Christoph Porzingis and Frank Nilakina. Chris Epps looks like a future star, and Ilkina has a ton of potential and is already making an impact for the Knicks. But it was time for the team to move on from both, who struggled for power against each other, while the team floundered instead of focusing on rebuilding. Centered around Porzingis, the Knicks already look better this season than anyone expected, as they're on pace for 40 wins after being expected to finish closer to 30. Sure, they could regress with all of their upcoming road games, but they've been a pleasant surprise without Phil and Melo around both of whom were major disappointments in New York, and both stunted each other. We'll start with Anthony, who shouldn't be totally held accountable for the team gutting its roster-slash-assets to trade for him instead of waiting to sign him as a free agent just months later. Regardless of the flaws he has as a basketball player, he was an incredible scorer, where the Knicks just couldn't put the right pieces around. The closest they got was the 2012-13 season, when they had a roster filled with veteran leaders who were well beyond their primes, but still were in the right roles next to Carmelo. Mellow played like an MVP that season, but it was all downhill from there. Melo had the opportunity to leave New York to sign with a winner in 2014, Jackson's first offseason as president. The two sealed their fates but so abundantly clearly deciding the two sealed their fates but so abundantly clearly decided to pair together with great reluctance as Jackson went on to constantly bash Mellow to the New York media. And Melo took plenty of opportunities to complain about how badly he wanted to win despite signing with a team that wasn't in a position to win. Signing Mello made it so Jackson played both sides of rebuilding while trying to stay competitive, which led to trading for Derrick Rose and signing Joe Kim Noah, who were both awful additions to the Knicks. It seemed like Phil and Mello were playing chicken with each other, with Phil hoping the Knicks' misery would force Mello to request a trade and waive his no-trade clause, which Jackson stupidly gave him, while Mello hoped not requesting a trade would make Jackson quit. Both are now gone, and both have a similar representation for their time in New York. Great expectations, big-name draws, ultimately made it more about themselves than the team, and both left as losers. I'm not being hyperbolic. The Knicks missed the playoffs the last four seasons, Mello was in town, and Jackson had about 100 more losses than wins when he was at the helm. I mean, at least Phil drafted Porzingis. Good riddance. Good luck to the Knicks moving forward. The number one story for me in 2017, or at least leaving 2017 behind, was LeBron and Kyrie breaking up. Do you remember where you were when the Kyrie Irving trade demand rumor came out? I didn't think there was any chance it was true, but oh boy, was it. Look, it's not like LeBron and Kyrie were the greatest duo in NBA history, or even that they complemented each other that well, but the Cavs got to three straight finals after LeBron arrived, and Kyrie did nothing but compile losses prior to that. It seemed crazy for the young guard to demand a trade, but it made sense. The Cavs had no shortage of offseason drama, with the team refusing to bring back GM David Griffin, it was it was feasible that LeBron's gonna leave after the season, and historically, without LeBron and the Cavs Historically, without LeBron, the Cavs are a hot mess. Why wouldn't Kyrie take control of the situation and ask for a trade? The confusing part to me though was the attached rumor that Kyrie hated LeBron. Kyrie felt LeBron held him back. Kyrie felt LeBron was a bad teammate. LeBron has historically been given the nod for being not only one of the best teammates, but a great leader and a guy who makes those around him better. To have a young player with so much promise like Kyrie come out and demand a trade felt like a slap in the face. In fairness, Kyrie had every right to do what he wanted. This was his opportunity. To be the face of a franchise, to have the offense run through him, and be the go-to player in the clutch. He didn't get those opportunities as much in Cleveland. And look, when you're on a team with LeBron, you're automatically Robin. The breakup was shocking considering the Cavs seemed like a lock to win the conference with the LeBron-Kyrie-Kevin-Love big three, but Kyrie ultimately going to Cleveland's biggest competition in Boston made it even more shocking and ultimately gave the NBA an incredibly juicy storyline. The Celtics are currently at the top of the conference. Can they and Kyrie dethrone LeBron in Cleveland? 2018 is going to be great. Which brings me to things I'm excited for this upcoming calendar year. But before I dive into 2018, I want to make a professional announcement. If you love the Relatively Speaking podcast, not only currently, but the previous rendition of the show with my good friend Joe Nardone, then you should be excited. Beginning January 8th, Joe and I will be reuniting with our friends at the Knicks wall to bring you the Off the Wall podcast. I'm super excited for the opportunity and hope you all download, listen, subscribe, give us ratings when we launch. Don't worry, I'll still be doing the Relatively Speaking podcast and we'll bring the heat with great guests covering the entire NBA But stay tuned for more information on this new venture, and go shout out Joe, because Joe's the man, and I'm excited to be podcasting with him. Now let's get into the new year. I'm going to go with five more storylines that I'm looking forward to in 2018 the way I did in 2017. And starting with number five, I'm really excited to see how things play out in the rest of the Western Conference this season. I want to find out how good the Wolves are and if they can improve on their bottom five defensive rating. I'm also interested in seeing if the Nuggets will catch fire when they get healthier. Speaking of catching fire, we recently stopped talking about how bad the Thunder are. Winners of 12 of their last 16, it looks like this team finally figured out how to play together. Either that or Russell Westbrook had enough with the speculation and decided needed to start taking over games again. We're somewhere in the middle, but this team has finally put their awkward start behind them and is creeping up towards the middle of the playoff picture out west. Which is important, because we are starting to question whether or not they were going to look into trading Paul George. I mean, with George most likely entering free agency this summer, it might have been worth it for the Thunder to keep an eye on the future instead of slushing their way through this season and hoping things could finally work out for them. George is on an expiring contract, but he's still one of the most valuable players who could potentially be traded this season, but it looks like he'll stay pat as the Thunder hope to challenge the elite teams out West. Another team in a similar situation is the New Orleans Pelicans, who have to make a decision on DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, Anthony Davis has also been involved in trade rumors, but who hasn't? With Boogie's contract running up this summer, and the Pelicans not really looking like much of a contender, would it be in their best interest to move the big? It'd be sad if they did, as the 27-year-old is averaging the most rebounds and assists of his career, and just playing fantastic basketball. But can the team convince both Davis and Cousins that they can be part of a winner together? I hope so. Either way, this makes the second half of the season all the more interesting, as Cousins, George, and DeAndre Jordan, all high-level All-Star players, could legitimately be on the trading block. The fourth thing I'm looking forward to in 2018 is how good are the Boston Celtics, and how much better are they going to be when Gordon Hayward comes back? The Celtics started the 2017-18 season as the hottest team in the league, and are still pacing the leaderboard of the Eastern Conference, despite the Cavs more than making up for their slow start. Despite losing Hayward on despite losing Hayward on opening night and trading three major pieces from last season's team, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, and Jay Crowder, this team looks deeper, and dare I say better, than the team that posted the Conference's best record and made it to the Finals last season. Eastern Conference Finals, that is. Kyrie Irving's name has been tossed into the MVP ring, and he's been awesome, but this team is the best defensive rating in the NBA and is led by Big Al Horford. Horford's counting stats never jump off the page, but having a big guy who's so good and diverse defensively that can also score from just about anywhere on the floor, he's shooting a ridiculous 43% from three on nearly three and a half attempts per game this season, while being a great passer means so much to this team. It's also been surprising to see both Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play so well, so soon. The two are third and fourth on the team in minutes per game, as well as second and fourth in net rating, respectively. Brown showed glimpses as a rookie last season, but he's averaging nearly 15 points per game shooting 47.6% from the field and over 40% from three while playing great defense on a nightly basis. Then there's Tatum, who would be the rookie of the year pretty much any other season, but is being overshadowed by Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. Still, the other rookies don't diminish his impact on this team, as he's scoring similarly to Brown, while posting a ridiculous 51.2, 47.5, 83 shooting line. Yes, he's shooting almost 50% from three, Jason Midrange Tatum. Again, we're talking about a Celtics team that doesn't have Gordon Hayward, but is going to be toe-to-toe with the league's best on a nightly basis. I don't know that they have the, the chops to finally dethrone LeBron this season, But they're as intriguing of a team as there is in the NBA this season and beyond when they get Gordon Hayward back. They don't have Gordon Hayward in there this good. It's unbelievable. At the same time, I'd like to acknowledge that as I record this, the Toronto Raptors have the second best record as well as the best net rating in the Eastern Conference. For a team that many thought peaked a couple of seasons ago, they've been rejuvenated by a youth movement And Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan continue to improve and play like one of the best backcourts in the NBA, which is incredible considering, you know, they're aging and wasn't sure how much better these guys could get. Of course, we want to see them do it in the playoffs before we get too excited, but this team has the potential to be good for a while and shouldn't be considered a sleeper to package some of their assets together if one of those big names that I previously mentioned hits the trade market. Number three, what are the Cavs with Isaiah Thomas and does he stay long term? You can't talk about the top of the Eastern Conference without talking about the Cavs, who are seemingly right on the cusp of getting back their big offseason acquisition slash Kyrie Irving replacement in Isaiah Thomas. It would make for a much more interesting storyline if the Cavs were struggling, but after starting the season 5-7, they've won 14 of their last 18 games and are most likely still LeBron James better than anyone else in their conference. Still, LeBron and company, who by the way have the third highest offensive rating in the NBA, will be joined by a player who averaged nearly 29 points per game last season in a pretty efficient manner, which should only give them more firepower as they work towards a fourth straight NBA Finals appearance. I expect it to take time to work Thomas into the rotation, and I also expect there to be some hiccups. Having players who are more spot shooters and less ISO heavy has always been a recipe for success for LeBron, and Thomas will more than likely slow down ball movement to extents. We saw that that style of play didn't work out with Derrick Rose, but Derrick Rose is washed, an awful defender, and a poor shooter. At the very least, Thomas isn't washed, nor is he a poor shooter. Ultimately, Thomas, like Kyrie in the past, should take some attention off of LeBron, as well as the other shooters on the team like Kevin Love and J.R. Smith. And Kyle Korver and Channing Frye, I mean, this is a team full of shooters. Thomas could also handle the scoring load when LeBron goes to the bench, which actually hasn't been a big problem for this iteration of the Cavs. Thomas has no great shakes defensively, but he's a major offensive weapon for this team and will give them the depth they need heading into the playoffs. Hey, if nothing else, maybe LeBron won't have to play 37-plus minutes a night in the dog days of the season. Beyond this season, however, I'm interested in seeing what the Cavs do with Thomas. He's up for free agency, and if he's healthy and plays similar to the last couple of seasons, a major payday is at the end of the season for him. With LeBron's future relatively up in the air, more on that shortly, it's unclear if the team acquired Thomas for its next run, as him and Kevin Love have some history together and should keep the team respectfully competitive if LeBron departs. At the same time, the Cavs have the nuts pick in this upcoming draft, and they could just blow it all up if they lose number 23. I'm sure a lot of Thomas' future is in his own destiny with regards to how well he plays and fits in with this Cavs team, but I find it very interesting how he can impact this team beyond this season, and potentially, I mean, even beyond LeBron. We got two more left. Number two for me is can the Rockets really push the Warriors? I don't think we're only asking this question because the Warriors have lost a few e- easy games with Steph Curry's sideline recently. The Rockets are experiencing their own struggles as well, but in the long run, they might be the best constructed team to beat this Megatron killing machine that we've, we refer to as the Warriors. Even last season, before getting Chris Paul, it looked like the frenetic pace and barrage of threes that the Rockets displayed on a nightly basis would be the toughest obstacle in Golden State's way. This year, they went out and got James Harden the help he needed in Paul, and they've shored up their perimeter defense not just with CP3, but with career role players Luke Mbamute and P.J. Tucker. This isn't to say that you're going to get Luke or P.J. to clamp up KD or Clay, or that CP is even a Steph stopper, but the playing fields have been leveled as there's another team that has incredible weapons. I mean, in a league where the Warriors haven't been the best offensive team by a sizable margin the last couple seasons, the Rockets are scoring more than them, while maintaining a top 10 defense. We're nearing up on the halfway mark of the season, so of course a lot can change between now and the playoffs, but it's encouraging how good Houston's been with a less than 100% Paul, and even with him on the sidelines they've been awesome. Besides LeBron, you can't convince me that there's anyone else in the MVP conversation next to James Harden, who's taken his game to new heights under Mike D'Antoni. He certainly has to make up for his playoff stinker last season, but it looks like he has the right pieces around him to help him do just that and potentially get past one of the best teams in NBA history. And if they, like everyone else, fails to beat Golden State, at least they gave us something fun to speculate over during the regular season. But remember, this podcast isn't just about the 2017-18 season, it's about the future, which brings me to my last major storyline for the NBA in 2018. What does LeBron do next? Does he stay in Cleveland or does he go? It's obviously too early to start speculating LeBron's next team, which you should know for no other reason than the Lakers, who are years away from mattering still, have been one of the top teams that have been thrown around as a potential destination for the King. Quickly, I want to touch on Houston because one, I was just talking about them, and two, I guess they make the most sense if LeBron wants to win another championship without outright signing with the Warriors. I mean, it was weird to fathom Chris Paul and James Harden sharing the rock. Adding LeBron to the fold makes my brain explode. But at the end of the day, when great players want to win, they make sacrifices. From a narrative standpoint, we've heard about the Banana Boat squad wanting to join forces for years, and I'm sorry, but in the year 2018, LeBron and CP are the only guys who could potentially swing the power of the league together. While we know where Paul plays, and looking at how things are going in Houston, it's hard to imagine he's going to be a one-and-done there. I'm not sure how the money would work out to fit LeBron on that roster, but as I just mentioned, they seem to be in the best spot to defeat the Warriors at the moment, and I can't imagine adding LeBron doesn't increase those chances. Besides... Looking around the league, where else does it make sense for LeBron to wind up? While I don't think Pop would say no to bringing in LeBron, I'm not sure LeBron's at a stage of his career yet where he's going to go to a team and be told to just quote-unquote fit in. The Spurs do what they do incredibly well, turning water into wine with veteran cast-offs and young-slash-international guess-whos, but the fit doesn't seem there with LeBron, and I don't think he wants to go out west if it doesn't come with playing with multiple other elite players. That isn't me saying Kawhi isn't great. I think he's top five, and I'm sure Pop and R.C. Buford will put the right piece around LeBron to flourish, but it seems like more work than LeBron needs at this stage of his career. Which brings us back to the other options. Is there a team in the East that's a LeBron away from being an actual championship contender? It'd be hilarious if he went to Boston and team with Kyrie and company to try to get them over the top, but I mean, like, that's not a thing. And I don't want to hear about LeBron to the Sixers, which also just doesn't make sense. If you watch Ben Simmons, you can't have this guy playing off the ball, and the rest of the roster isn't good enough to just add LeBron and fight for a championship. One would have to imagine that after years of having to slay the Dragon in Golden State for a shot at another ring, LeBron's looking to cut straight to the front of the line, not go for the long play and hope to help a young roster reach new heights. For the most part, ignoring the front office drama from last summer and Dan Gilbert's general awfulness, the Caps have done relatively well by LeBron, getting him the right pieces in time for playoff runs over the last several years. He'll still have Kevin Love in town for a few seasons, and with the Nets pick and the potential to re-sign Isaiah Thomas, there are worse options for King James than staying put. We saw a lot of all-star talents leave the East to go West last summer, and there's little reason to bet against LeBron heading to the finals annually if he stays put. Either way, just like 2010 and 2014, LeBron's decision will most likely be the most interesting thing to happen to the NBA this season, which is saying something considering how exciting things are gearing up to be. Guys, that's all I got for 2017 and all I'm looking forward to in 2018 without taking the two-hour podcast here, but I want to thank you all so much for listening, not just today, but all year. I look forward to getting more awesome guests in 2018, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at jmintshoops. Guys, happy healthy new year. Thank you for listening. Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop. AI cross hunting rappers like a backdrop. Clock ticking, I'm the one. Take the last shot. Couple chairs for him. Got your shorty like a mascot. Never ask, I'm just filling with that ass got. He's half nuts, at my neck like a mascot. Uh, hundred grand up in my dash, hop with more K's than Dash got. You living in a glass box? I'm on point, Steve Nash spot. Destroy your track like I'm Hancock. Now I'm pulling tops down like a ragtop.